Welcome, everyone. Hey, so good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Today, we are in the second part of our series entitled, Tis the Season. And uh, this sermon series is probably going to be a little bit different than what you might think about if you've just here for the very first time today. We're going to be talking about a, a topic that is going to stir maybe a little bit of discomfort. It's a topic that's often tiptoed around in church world and at times with good reason. We, we're talking about money in this series and I know that probably takes some of you off guard just a little bit. You're going, well, tis the season. Oh, yeah, you'll understand why in just a moment. Um, because here's the thing. I know some of you have had really bad experiences with churches and preachers and money. And so um, whether you're a Christ follower or not or, you know, um, you've been in church for all your life, let me just kind of put you at ease this morning right from the very start. Um, this is not going to be a sermon. This is not a three-week, we're doing three weeks last week, this week, and next week. It's not about going to be asking you to do a big give at the end of this series. You can keep it, keep, take a deep breath, and you can just relax about that. That is not the intention of this sermon series. So the question you might be asking is, hey, what is the motive for talking about money in this season? Well, this series is designed to help all of us become aware of what money is doing to us personally, relationally, and spiritually. What we want to do in this series is we want to help you identify, we're identifying four attitudes about money that control your mind, they live in your heart, they impact your life, and they absolutely impact your relationship with God and with other people. Because here's what I know. This is not just a season for Christmas, and this is not just a th season for Thanksgiving that we're going to be celebrating this week. This is the season for spending. As I shared with you last week, this year, U.S. holiday spending is predicted to hit $221 billion. Now, as I shared with you, there's two very interesting and alarming facts about the spending for this season. First one is this. Over 51% of all purchases during this season are going to come from people's cell phones or some other portable device, device like a tablet. So this is the first time in the history of spending that mobile has become the dominant way that people are making purchases, which makes it easier to be compulsive. Now, the second one is this. More people than ever are planning on using a buy now, pay later plan which is dangerous. I mean, that's whether that's a credit card or an in-store program that they have. This is already going to, it's going to add to the already stretched economic burden that people are carrying into 2024 because we've all experienced the impact of inflation. So this is the season when a lot of people are going to spend more than they should, and they're going to justify saying, well, I need to be generous, I need to be loving, I need to be virtuous in this process. Now, Here's the challenge for each of us. These four attitudes that we're talking about, they are really hard to see in ourselves. In fact, most of us, we have no idea that they're creating a problem for us spiritually and relationally and emotionally even. But not just in this buying season, but also in every area and every season of our life because they hide in our justifications, they hide in our rationalizations. They're really great, as we're gonna to see today from the words of Jesus, they're really great at camouflaging themselves, especially in a season like this. But here's the thing, there's something else that is true of you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that we all have in common, and that is this. And this is part of why we're having this conversation. We all wanna win with money. 
I mean, I have never met anybody who is excited to live under financial pressure. No, we, we all want to live with money. And the other thing is not only do we all want to live, win with money, but we all want a little bit more money. Like, when was the last time you saw somebody turn down a raise? I mean, that's like pretty rare, right? Like, I don't think this desire to win with money is wrong. Unfortunately, I just don't think we're very good at winning with money. And here's why I say that. Even though we're one of the wealthiest nations in the world, here's what we know. Most Americans spend more than they make. They make a dollar and they spend a dollar and a quarter. They make a dollar, they spend a dollar and a half. And that's just not rational. The second reason we're not very good with money is that most Americans pay interest on things that decrease in value. Like we buy an item and we don't have the cash to purchase, so we borrow the money on interest or by putting it on our credit card. So if the item costs like $100, we're not actually paying $100 for that item. Meanwhile, the moment that item enters our possession, the value begins to decrease rapidly. So with the interest, we've paid $120 for this $100 item, and then when it becomes ours in ownership, it's now only worth about $50 to $75. And that's just not wise, but it's normal. And here's another reason that I say I don't think we're very good with money, and that is this. Most Americans feel financial pressure to provide and acquire more than they currently have. Now, here's the thing. If you've been to a third world country, here's what you know. You know that most people in that third world country would look at your financial situation and they would wonder what you're so worried and what you're so stressed about with money. Because as we talked about last week, from their point of view, you are very rich. Because in America, most people are in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you make more than $30 a day, you are in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. And those people in a third world country, they would love to trade places with you. And they could not possibly understand why you would feel the need to save more money, borrow more money, invest more money, and buy more things. They just cannot understand it. I've had conversations with people in third world countries about that. But we feel the pressure, don't we? We feel the need to have more, to get more, and to make more. Why? Like, why do 90% of Americans say that money is creating stress for them? Don't miss that. 90% of Americans say that money is creating stress for them. 70% of marriages break up because of money. So how can having so much feel like we have so little and cause so many problems. More on that in just a moment. So what we're doing is, during this series, is we're not just talking about what to do with money, we're talking about what money is doing to us. Because here's the thing, as I said, it is having a much greater impact on every one of us, personally, relationally, and spiritually, than whatever, what we realize. That's why, as I said, we're identifying these four different attitudes that are all interconnected. They're all related to each other. And they work together to sabotage our lives and our relationships. And we're going to discover in this series, how do we beat them? Now, last week, we discovered the first two. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and watch and listen because all these are interconnected. Last week, we looked at these two, and it was the appetite for more 
and pride. Now, today, we're going to talk about the third one. And I'm just going to say, it is much harder to spot than this one. This one that we're going to talk about today, it knows how to camouflage itself in a lot of different ways. So we're going to need you this week to dig deeply, to look closely in order to find it. But if you miss it, it has the potential to significantly damage you and the relationships with people and with God in a way that is just, it's so devastating. Now, here's what I also know. There are a lot of things that have changed from the first century to today. But here's what I know. Misunderstanding what money can do to you, that hasn't changed. Which is why Jesus talked so much about money. Jesus talked more about money. Don't miss this. He talked more about money than heaven, hell, prayer, and faith all combined. So today, what I want to do is I want to share a conversation with you that Jesus had with a man who misunderstood what money was doing to him. And Jesus, in this conversation, he explains to us how to win when it comes to money. Specifically, what we're going to see is this. Money in and of itself is not the problem. But we assume, or what we, ever, what, what we assume about money can oftentimes create a lot of problems for us personally, relationally, spiritually, if we don't understand the attitudes that are behind what we think about that drive our behavior about money. So this story is recorded in Luke chapter 12, if you want to follow along in your Bible or your, or your app there. So here's what's happening in this story. One day Jesus is talking to this large group of people and this really awkward situation unfolds in the crowd. So Jesus is teaching and two brothers, they show up in the crowd and they happen to see each other in the crowd and they get into an argument. It would be like me preaching and two people that are in a family feud, all of a sudden in the middle of the family feud or in the middle of the sermon, they stand up and they say, Jesus. Or they would say to me, not because I'm not Jesus, but they say, Paul, you need to solve this problem, right? Because here's what happens. Apparently, their father had recently died, and they're fighting over their inheritance. Now, I know none of you know anything about that, right? So what happens is the one brother, he interrupts Jesus as Jesus is teaching, and he says to Jesus, he says, tell my brother to do the right thing. Because he says, I want to get what I feel like I deserve of the inheritance. But Jesus doesn't respond the way that this brother hoped. Instead of siding with one of the brothers, Jesus uses this argument between them as an illustration. So he turns to the crowd after this one brother stands up and says, hey, tell my brother to give me the rightful part of my inheritance. He, he turns to the crowd, he goes, hey, do y'all see what's going on here? This guy thinks his brother's being unfair. But I just want you all to know, we don't have a fairness problem. Let me tell you what the real problem is. In fact, Jesus makes a statement in the first verse that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 12 that surprises everybody. It's going to surprise you. And this is a statement that I want you to process. I want you to pay attention to. I want you to think about it all week long. Because not only in this next verse that we're going to, or this verse that we're going to look at, explain why this man is so stressed and worried about his finances, it explains why you and I are so stressed and worried about our finances as well. 
In fact, I want you to listen to these words of Jesus starting in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against. So Jesus starts off and he says, listen, you need to stay alert about this issue that these two brothers are having. He says, there is danger lurking. So you need to be on guard about something. And the question is, what do you need to be on guard against? Do you need to be on guard against unfairness? Do you need to be on guard against family conflict? Do you need to be on guard against money? No, those aren't the issues here. Notice verse 15, he says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed? Yeah. This is a greed problem. Wait, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. He deserves his part of the inheritance. He's getting cheated by his brother. He's not greedy. This is about what is right and fair, Jesus. But Jesus says, oh no. The guy's problem is, is greed. That's why he's fighting his brother. That's why he's so anxious and so worried and stressed out about his future. Because he's greedy. Wow, it's right. See, see, we don't think about that when we read this story. Think about these guys are getting an inheritance. It's a gift from their parents. They did nothing to earn it. They did nothing to deserve it. It is a gift. It is more than they had personally. But this brother is willing to destroy his relationship over a gift because he feels like he deserves it. And Jesus says, this is a form or a symptom of greed. You know what's even scarier about this? Is Jesus would say the same thing is true for you and me. That the reason that you make unwise financial decisions, the reason that you have little to no financial margin, the reason you feel like that you're never going to have enough, that you're always afraid that you're going to lose something and you're going to lose it because, you know, you're, you're just not going to ever have, like something's going to happen. He says, the reason you have all this anxiety and all this worry about money is because of some kind of greed. Like the reason you don't talk to your family anymore because there's this money feud going on is some kind of greed. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know. You're arguing with me in your head right now. I can see that in Chipley and Blountstown and in Marianne. I mean, it's just like coming off like, Ooh, oh, no, I'm not greedy. You don't know how irrational my family is when it comes to money. But you just need to understand something, Chipley and Blountstown and Marianne, this is the thing. I didn't say you had a greed problem. Jesus did. And I get the argument. Because when I first read this, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's no way. See, I know that you don't think you have a greed problem. I don't think I have a greed problem. 
I mean, you're, you're just thinking, well, I'm just careful with what I have. I mean, the future is not certain, so, man, I got to be ready for anything. I've got to save. I, I got to make sure. I mean, I got to make sure. So greed is not your problem, right? I mean, like, how many of you have ever looked at somebody and said, I'm greedy. Oh, I'm so greedy. None of us. To see, here, here's the thing. None of us ever say we're greedy. I, I mean, I'm with you. But Jesus, he's not convinced. He says greed is one of our problems. So why would Jesus say that? Well, Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he says this. He says, Jesus warns people far more about greed than about sex. Yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. Therefore, because Jesus warns us more about greed, therefore, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it is not a problem for them. Now, let me just tell you how greed hides itself so deeply. This is how it hides itself so deeply. See, the reason you don't think you're greedy is because you always compare yourself to people who have more or who do worse with money than you do. You, you don't compare yourself to people who sacrifice more, serve more, give a larger percentage of themselves. No, we always compare ourselves to people who have more and do worse with more than what we do. That's why greed can hide itself so deeply in our lives. So to help us understand what Jesus is saying, let's just start off with a definition of greed. So, so do you know what greed is? Here's what greed is. Greed is assuming that everything placed in my hands is for my consumption. In other words, greed is the belief that whatever I get, it's for me and for me to control. Greed is the belief that everything comes into my life for my life. That everything goes into my bank account for my benefit. And what that means is this, don't miss this. That means that you can be greedy whether you're rich or whether you're poor. See, that means you can be greedy with a lot or you can be greedy with a little. It doesn't matter because greed is an attitude that everything is for me. And Jesus would argue, your assumption about money is simply a response that you value your desire to consume is being threatened. Now, think about this. The assumption that everything is for my consumption is incredibly destructive. See, this, this idea that everything is for my consumption, it, it's a destructive attitude to the human heart because greed doesn't just create financial problems. Greed creates relational problems. It creates spiritual problems. I mean, think about it. How many of you do things with your money that you try to hide from God? How many of you have relational conflict because of money. Because see, what we don't think about is this, is that consumption is a mess. And you know this when you think about it. 
Consumption makes a mess of your heart. It leaves you discontent and worried. Consumption drives greed. Greed causes you to value your money and your possessions more than people. It causes you to neglect your family for work so that you can have more money. It causes you to try to control people with your money because you don't want them to take any of your money. Now, you might cheat them, but they sure are not going to cheat you. It causes you to live with no margin. See, it's greed is why you often end up in more debt than you can afford. Because see, greed will destroy a heart. It'll damage a life. It'll damage a family. It'll damage friendships. And it'll destroy your future all the time. You thinking that you're doing better than everybody else. Because you always compare yourself to people who have more money and are worse at handling it than you are. And according to Jesus... It is built, greed is built on a faulty assumption, a wrong view of wealth. Now, there's another danger that we have to watch out for that causes greed. See, fear breeds greed. And don't we live in a fear-based culture? Everything is driving fear in our culture. So another reason that we tend to be greedy is because you're afraid. You're, you're, gonna, you're afraid that you're going to lose what is most important to you. You're afraid you're going to fall behind everyone else. You're afraid that you're not going to have enough. You're afraid that you're going to miss out. You're afraid that something terrible is going to happen and you won't be prepared. You're afraid that you're going to run out of money before you run out of life. And that fear is an indicator that you don't trust your heavenly father is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do to take care of you. Now, here's again, we have a hard time seeing this in ourselves, but our actions speak a whole lot louder than our words. This is why Jesus said, be on guard against all kinds of greed because it shows up in a lot of different ways. And because it shows up in a lot of different ways, it's really easy to lose our perspective when it comes to finances. That's why Jesus, in the next couple of verses, he, he says this. He says, hey, by the way, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And we all know this. None, none of us have this life equals stuff as a screen reminder on our phone, right? But knowing it intellectually hasn't transitioned into the way that we practice what we do and how we handle money. See, the way that we live indicates that we really do believe life equals the stuff that we have and the money that we have. If we didn't believe that, we wouldn't spend more than we make, we wouldn't pay interest on things that decrease in value, and we wouldn't hoard what we have. So the attitude of greed, it is sneaky, and Jesus is about to show us how sneaky it is. In fact, he launches into one, his, uh, one of his famous fictional stories, which is called a parable in the Bible, designed to make a kingdom point. In fact, notice this in verse 16. It says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Sounds like he's kind of describing the typical middle or upper middle class American, doesn't it? He's a guy who finds himself with more than he needs. Things are going well. There's money left over at the end of the month. So what is this man going to do with this extra? Here's the question. What do we do? Now, remember this. Jesus is making up this story. So he could have had this guy do anything he wanted this guy to do. But I think it's interesting. There's no coincidence. What he has this guy do sounds familiar to all of us. In fact, 
It represents most of our lives. Verse 17, notice what he says. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I mean, this is kind of the problem you'd like to have, right? Sign me up for that. Like to have so much extra that you don't have room for it. Some of you are already there. To have so much stuff that you need a bigger house or another storage building. Like this is where most of us find ourselves in America today. Do you understand that there are over 50,000 storage facilities in America? And they're saying that's one of the best investments that you can make. And one of the most secure investments you can make is in storage facilities. And don't miss this. There's a combined storage capacity of 2.3 billion square feet. There are only 340 million Americans. Everybody could stand in a storage facility at the same time and have room to spare. So, depending on where you read, Americans spend somewhere around 39 billion a year to store stuff. And by the way, that's about enough money to end poverty or hunger in, in the world every year. It's not quite, but it's, getting, it's really close. Just a thought. When you stand before God and say, God, why'd you let everybody go hungry? And God said, well, you had to store all that stuff. I didn't let them go hungry. You did. I gave you the money, but you spent it on a storage building for stuff that you don't use. So all these people went hungry. See, see, that's the situation this man's in. So he comes up with a plan in verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy and drink and be merry. In other words, American retirement. What a responsible decision. I mean, think about it. This guy doesn't go out and buy a high-dollar car or upgrade the house. He tears down his old barns, builds bigger ones, so that he can save what he has, and he'll even get a tax write-off for doing it. I mean, like, amazing. Now, what makes this story so interesting is how relatable this is to all of us. What he does sounds like the wise thing to do. In fact, let's be honest. This is probably the very advice that you would give someone in this same situation today. All we need for Jesus to do is say, and he lived happily ever after in his 21st century American retirement. But instead, Jesus says, don't miss these words, but God, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's right, we forgot about God. <laughs> oh, we had so much, we forgot about God. I'm like, we were feeling pretty self-sufficient. So we didn't even consider what God might want us to do with his resources that he had supplied for us. What does he say? But God said to him, God says to this man, you fool. Wait, 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 wait. I thought this guy was being wise. I mean, he's doing exactly what I would tell somebody to do, right? Notice what he says. But God says to him, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Where God is not number one on their mind about God, you are the owner, I am just the manager. So what is Jesus trying to teach us? Whenever we have more than we need, our assumption, as I said, is that it is there for our consumption. But Jesus says, no, that's a wrong mindset. Jesus even says, that is a short 
short-sighted mindset. See, Jesus isn't critical of the rich man planning for his future. He's critical because he didn't plan enough into the future. See, the rich man assumed everything should be saved or used for his own pleasure or his own safety or his own security. But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. You you forgot about the future future because you're going to lose it all eventually. At some point, you're going to leave it all behind. So Jesus says, hey, everybody, here's the thing. How about you use what you have to help somebody? And instead of leaving... Instead of leaving it all behind, you send it on ahead. And the question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, every time you have extra, you hold your hands open and you said, God, this is yours. You literally come before God in prayer. God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with this? And then as we talked about last week, come up with a plan where you give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. And here's why. Because generosity is the only antidote to greed. It is the only medicine that you can take that breaks the spell of greed on the human heart, the grip of greed on the human heart. And we know this, don't we? In fact, let me illustrate how we all know this is true. I've asked two volunteers to come up here and help me this morning. If you guys will come on up here. Because these guys are going to help me show you, if you'll stand on this side, and Taylor, if you'll stand on that side and just face each other, they're going to help me show you how that we all understand or know that generosity is the only antidote to greed. So what I have here is um, I have two lunch bags, right? So, Bly, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out one thing at a time. Okay? That looks pretty nice. And as he takes out one thing, see if you have what he has. Okay, both of you have a sandwich. You just lay it on the table here. Yep, all right. What else you got, boy? I got chips, Cheetos, whatever you want to call those. Yep, all right. So we're good. What else you got? You got an apple? Taylor, you got you an apple here too as well? Is that all you got, Taylor? What you got, Taylor? You got anything else? Oh, you got something else here. Let's get rid of these. What do you got here, Taylor? Oh, he's got two cookies. Oh, you don't got two cookies? I don't got two cookies. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Now, here's what I know. If your children were sitting in a lunch one day, <laughs> if this was my two sons, and they are, spiritually, kind of, I guess. Um, if they were your sons, if you were there, what would you say to Taylor? Oh, let's say that a little bit more passion. Come on, you. Share. Oh, yeah. If you weren't there, what would you want Taylor to do with these two cookies? See, here's why. Because we as parents know that if our children share and, and, and it impacts their life in a significant way, we know their life is going to be better. Because we believe children need to learn to share with others in a significant way, in a way that would hurt them. We're asking Taylor to give half of his cookies away. In fact, every time we tell our children to share, we're asking them to impact their lifestyle. This would impact your lifestyle because those look like some pretty good cookies. But why do we do that? Because we want to teach our children that everything is not for their consumption, right? 
Now, here's what I know. It's a lot easier to tell our children to share when it impacts their lifestyle by saying, you need to give half of your cookies away. It's a lot harder when we as adults have to live this out as a lifestyle. And I'm not so sure that our children don't struggle to share because they subconsciously see the greed in our own lives and our unwillingness to share. Now, I'm not gonna let you have these cookies because I'm gonna eat them for the next service. But what I do have for you guys is I have, since y'all are willing to help me out, I have some really nice cookies for you guys. And by the way, just a little bit of conviction about this, there are two cookies in each one of those as well. Everybody give it up for these guys. Thank y'all so much. So here's what we know. As parents and as adults, right? It's really easy because I've heard parents say it. I've heard other adults say it about children. Oh, that's such a greedy kid. See, as parents, we all know the way that you break the power of greed in your life is to practice generosity, so much generosity that it impacts your lifestyle in a significant way. Because whenever generosity, you give half of what you had away, it really helps to break the assumption that everything you have is for your consumption. And according to Jesus in this story, he tells us, listen, if you're not willing to be generous until you have to sacrifice something that you want now, or you have to say, no, we're going to have to wait later to get it because we have given away, we've shared what we had, then he's saying, you are greedy. Or if you've consumed to the point that you have little left to give, he would say you are greedy. Or if you have saved to the point and invested to the point that you have little or nothing to give, he would say you are greedy. See, greed disguises itself and fools us into living as life is equal to what we have. But one day, and you know this, when you're in the last day of your life, what's going to matter to you then? Will it be the cookies that you held on to? All the stuff you bought? Or will it be the people that you loved? Will it be all the money that you have in your retirement account that you're going to live to your kids anyhow because you're so spiritual and wise man leaves an inheritance kid, but you didn't think about leaving an inheritance spiritually or relationally. You, you know, you just did the easy money thing. Will it be all the money that you're going to leave in your retirement account that they're going to fight over and squander because you taught them how to be greedy? Or is it going to be the lives that you've impacted because of what you gave away? See, it's going to be very clear on that last day. But unfortunately, most of us, we don't gain that clarity until it's too late, until we've lost the opportunity to act and live wisely with our money. See, assuming that everything is for your consumption is a very dangerous way to live. It's why some of you don't give generously to churches because you want to be in control of all your money. See, without realizing it, when we want to control everything that we have and we're not going to share anything we have, we are inviting greed into our heart, into our life, into our relationships. So I'd invite you to take one simple step this week. Not just this week, but even in the future. 
When you get a little extra, will you hold it with open hands? And will you say, God, this is yours? Let's go ahead and put it on the screen. God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with this? Or will you just assume it's for your consumption? Will you be open to use generosity to slay the attitude of greed in your heart? And by the way, if you're not open to do that as an parent, I would tell you not to even tell your children to share. Because that's why children grow up and call their parents hypocrites. Because they watch the double standard. But one day, I will just go ahead and tell you now, you're going to step from this side of eternity onto that side of eternity. And did you plan to be rich on that side? Because on that side, you're either going to be rich toward God or you're going to be poor toward God based upon what you did and how you managed what God entrusted you to manage. See, your life... It does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It doesn't. And the sooner you manage your money like you believe that, the faster your assumption that everything being for your consumption will be broken and the more content you will be and the more joy you will have. So what would this holiday season be like if we all begin to break the power of greed in our life? What if we begin to share our cookies generously like we ask our children to share? But what would our homes, what would our churches, what would our communities be like? What would our lives be like? See, God says, when you share generously so that it affects your standard of living to the point you say, oh, we can't buy that now, or we may never be able to buy that ever, or we may have to save for more years to be able to have that. He said, that is what begins to break the grip of greed on your heart. The question is, we know this, will we live it? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity in this season when people are going to show their greed and live out their greed in ways that are just going to break them and ruin them financially and relationally. I thank you that you're giving us the opportunity because of your amazing generosity toward us. You're giving us the opportunity to model a different way. God, I pray that you help us not to walk out of this place today and not listen. And not be aware and not assume there are different kinds of greed that are lurking around in our hearts and our minds and they are affecting our lives, our relationship with you and our relationship with other people. But I pray that you help us all to make the commitment right here and right now that we are going to be open-handed before you with every extra thing that we get that other people do not have. And we're not gonna compare ourselves to people who have more and do worse with their more and hide our greed. But we're gonna stand open-handed before you with all the extra we have. And say, God, what do you want me to do with this? 
because it's yours. I'm a manager. You're an owner. God, I thank you for your love that guides us to make wise choices and wise decisions. But more importantly, thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells us to guide us through this process. We love you and we thank you, first of all, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks everyone. It gets better next week. I'll see you next Sunday.